Well, it's Monday, December the 6th, the year of our Lord, 2021. I'm Raheem Kassam, Editor-in-Chief of The National Pulse. I know it's been a while. Did you miss me? <laughs> We've got Natalie Winters joining us in just a second. But I wanted to take the opening part of the show today to just talk about a few things that we've got coming up, coming down the pipeline in the next week or so. As some of you will remember, last year we had our inaugural Patriot of the Year Award. And after much, much thought, much deliberation, much consideration, I have decided that the honoree this year will be announced next week. So make sure you stick around and stay tuned for that. Make sure you are subscribed, that you are leaving us reviews, you are sharing this show with other people. And I've got a bone to pick with you about that, actually, ladies and gentlemen. Don't think you're sharing this enough. Because the last podcast I did about getting back your sense of smell and taste, I've had so many people reaching out to me and saying, hey, Raheem, you know, uh, I know you had COVID. I know you lost your smell and taste. And people tell me you got it back real quickly. Well, how did you do it? I said I did a bloody podcast on it. So make sure you're doing your part and not making me swear to these people's faces. Welcome to another episode of The National Pulse. Natalie Winters, welcome back. Hello. Thank you for having me back. Um, Natalie, I saw you this weekend. <laughs> did it, you? It's been a long time. Um, it had been a long time, and uh, yeah, you just you just kind of invited yourself to to this place. <laughs> I was hanging out at. See, people don't understand. I I am a pretty professional drinker, and when I'm at the bar, I'm at the bar. But Natalie comes in and she kind of ruins it all because a she doesn't drink, and b all all she does is start very quickly telling like a series of in jokes just between us in a row and I get totally distracted from my drinking and then we look I don't know how you feel about this Natalie but I think we look like nutcases whenever we go out anywhere into public because all we do is we kind of stand in the corner giggling for about two hours so thank you for oh that. definitely you're, you're <laughs> welcome well I think that's just how I am with anyone <laughs> <laughs> yeah this is what you, you bring out the giggles in people um well there are worse things. There are worse things. The um, the event this weekend, and I want to take a moment to, to give a shout out to, was the New York Young Republicans 109th, I think, um, annual gala. And um, yeah, there were some good speeches. Um, Rudy Giuliani, Jenna Ellis, uh, Steve Cortez. There were some bad speeches, Matthew Tierman. Um, but the, but um, you're allowed to laugh. Come on. That was a good one. <laughs> I did laugh, damn it. I'm conscious of, of, or rather self conscious of all the comments that complain about how much I laugh. Oh, okay. All right. Let's be, let's be super so serious I, then. Okay. But, but for Matthew Tierman, I will, we were laughing. We were laughing a bunch a lot. of hate comments. <laughs> yeah. Um, I actually am, I am the opposite of self conscious about those comments because I think what miserable people some people must be that they, uh, are upset that friends laugh together when they record a podcast, you know? And I'm not trying to be here hosting, you know, the dead serious owl with the dead serious pulse. That's just not what we do. Um, 
you know, the, the term happy warriors comes to mind. I'm not particularly a happy warrior, but but you certainly are. And so I think you, yes. the, the infectiousness, um, the R number behind your giggles is is very important um, because because it kind of helps everybody deal with the with the horrendousness of of, of, of modern life. Um, so don't stop laughing and don't stop giggling, especially not at my jokes because I need you for that. It's basically <laughs> the only reason I employ you. Um, is to Good. you know some people have wingmen, some people have hype men. I have giggleman. Um, you are giggleman for me. Um, and, and I need it quite frankly. So the event this weekend, I got to say was, was, was pretty, um, pretty epic. I, I think it was one of their largest that the club has ever done. I think, uh, Vish, who, who's the vice president of the club was telling me that they go back through all of the, all of the historical logs about this place. And, and ladies and gentlemen, I'll get into why this matters in a moment. It's not just a fancy piss up though. It is that, um, I think the last one he said that they had more people at was something like 1920 something. Um, and I believe they had either a president or former president um, who was keynoting the event back then. And they had something like 700 people. So for them to be able to put on an event of this scale, literally in the middle of Manhattan. Um, and there were, I think about what, four and a half protesters outside. Um, which was- I was so disappointed in the protesters. Me too. Me too. I, Our sign sucked. Well, they my, didn't know who I was. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, my friend who came with me, she wore a chinchilla coat, and I was just desperately hoping that somebody would have a bucket of paint to pour over her chinchilla coat because it would have driven her nuts. Uh, but no such luck, I'm afraid. Um, but it was it was it was an amazing crowd. Amazing to be in the room with so many people. Um, so many. Uh, like-minded people and so many new people as well. I don't know about you, Natalie, but I um I met a whole bunch of people that I didn't know before and that was pleased to meet. Um, and I want to reflect for a moment before we get into the into the news news on and I hope you've got some by the way because I don't, Natalie. Um, uh, on, I got you. Oh, thank you. On how and I've just been for my run down um, down on the National Mall and I'm I'm very achy, so I'm going to throw it over to you in just a second. But I want to talk about the the changes that are taking place because we know that changes are taking place in in very big, important, conservative places uh, across the Western world at the moment. Florida especially comes to mind and lots of people decamping over there and lots of efforts going in there and, and emanating from there uh, to battle against uh, totalitarianism as, as, in, in, uh, you know, as we know it right now. Um, but it's also happening in places that you wouldn't expect. And I know it's necessarily not represented in election results right now. We just had, obviously, the New York uh, mayoral election and the city council elections. And you didn't see that much of an incursion from the political right into the left's dominance there. However, um, you do see it culturally. And culturally uh, kind of is the first place you start to see these things. And for, again, for the NYYRs to be able to turn out 500 plus people, uh, for an event like that in 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 Midtown Manhattan, I think I think is epic, uh, and I think it speaks to I think it speaks to even more or certainly good things down the road. Now I'm not saying that New York is ever going to turn into a conservative city, but but the point is not to cede these places necessarily to make them fight for their own home turf rather than allowing them the left to take the fights to our home turf. Right, that's just basic war strategy, um, and I'll be back up there to wit. Uh, on Thursday uh, to give a speech, and and I think I'm supposed to receive some kind of award uh, from the uh, New York uh, Metropolitan Republican Club. So, if ladies and gentlemen, if you are uh, if you are of that persuasion, i.e., a New Yorker, 
uh, and you want to come hang out on Thursday, then the details are uh, on my social media pages on Getter, G-E-T-T-R dot com, on Twitter and beyond. Now, all that having been said and done, that's the housekeeping for the day. Um, Natalie, I want to turn it over to you for a little bit, especially want to talk about this Corey Gardner story that you got another scalp on. I want to talk about this migrant rape story that is leading the site at the moment, I think very important as well. Uh, and there's a couple of other stories I know that, that perhaps you'll want to bring up. Uh, and then, if you don't mind, I'm going to get into my Millie story because uh, it has uh, it's just been linked up on Real Clear Politics. So somebody obviously liked it, although Steve... Uh, uh, I, I think was less of a fad. He texted me uh, about it. Uh, he just doesn't like when I swear. Um, and I swore in the headline uh, of this. But it's doing really well. A uh, lot of traffic on the site right now, uh, especially to this story and to yours, Natalie. So let's start with, with yours. Um, Corey Gardner, you wrote about this a, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and it looks like you've had some great success with this. Take us away. Sure. So people may remember Cory Gardner. He was sort of an early never Trumper. He later reformed, though it, it wasn't really a, a genuine conversion. I think it was kind of an attempt to save face politically. He realized the Republican Party was changing and he needed to get on board with Trump in order to have a political future, albeit very short lived. He lost re-election for Colorado senator less than a year ago. Mm. Um, and in that short, short time span, we know the swamp works very quickly to take care of its own, he already ended up uh, in the warm embrace of a Chinese Communist Party influence group that you've probably heard me rail about many, many times, the China United States Exchange Foundation, or QCEF for short. This is the group that has paid to take journalists on trips overseas to China in exchange for, quote, favorable coverage. That's, of course, a quote from these Foreign Agent Registration Acts, because QCEF is a foreign agent, given that it is heavily, heavily linked and funded by Beijing and the Chinese uh, regime's foreign influence operations. So Cory Gardner was slated to headline uh, an event that this group was hosting, uh, assessing the Biden-Xi summit. Uh, it was supposed to be kind of a pregame for, for the summit, but I believe it was about a day after we put up a story highlighting how Cory Gardner had, had fallen it, well, fallen denies him any agency, how he willingly entered the orbit of this Chinese Communist Party influence group. Uh, he actually withdrew from the event. Uh, QCEF updated their website to say this event had been postponed, which was very interesting. So from my perspective, a great development to see the pressure that he felt, not just from the National Pulse, but from listeners to this audience who shared our story uh, on Twitter, it went very viral. It got a lot of engagement on that. So he later dropped out of the event. But to anyone who's probably ever followed politics, especially those uh, following the establishment faction of the Republican Party, there's no shortage of people there who like to sell out to the Chinese Communist Party. So an individual named, I believe it's Norm Coleman. Mm. Yes, another one of these fake Republicans, Democrats at heart, right? Rhino types. Uh, filled in for Cory Gardner, so that there's a deep bench of people people like Cory Gardner. But I think this is a testament uh, to what kind of revealing and calling out these people who are taking cash ostensibly, um, or at least aligning themselves, cozying up to the Chinese Communist Party. What you know, shining a light, right? The best disinfectant is is sunlight. 
um, well, maybe the best remedy to compromise is is a National Pulse expose. Um, but mm-hmm. as I said, Corey Gardner is no longer in, in QCEF's orbit, which I think is is a much better thing for the country. But I guess you've still got Norm Coleman. And like mm-hmm. I said, there's a very, very deep bench of, of people like Norm Coleman. And frankly, to me, they all they all kind of look the same and, and bleed together. <laughs> <laughs> but but Norm, we're coming for you. <laughs> so. You know, I, I one of the the best things about the the work we do is seeing these these results, right? And it's we are trying to open the the world's eyes to the um, the malign influence of the Chinese Communist Party and the and the you know depths um, to which they have their kind of talons into Western politics and and uh, and beyond. Uh, but there's only so much we can do about that, and it's and it's gratifying to see that people do pay attention. Um, when you do a story like this and they take action based on uh, a story like this, whether, as you say, it's the audience who takes that moment to, to reach out and, and write to, to you know, whoever, whomever it might be, in this case, Corey Gardner or, or, or the staff of Corey Gardner and say, hey, this isn't on. Or whether it's them themselves, you know, watching in their own Google alerts and seeing their names pop up and going, oh, I didn't know this about this group and, and, and taking action on it. Um, by themselves, we don't know necessarily which I, I think which which one of those necessarily caused uh, Corey Gardner to drop this affiliation. But as you say, there's a there's a deep bench for the for the CCP in places like Washington DC, and they will keep churning through uh, different people. And that's why I think it's so um, so important that we keep our eyes on things like this, Natalie. Especially when when I think you know your your talent for or I would say talent uh, in in com- in combination with your kind of autistic nature in going through <laughs> <laughs> in going through all of the Thank I mean, you. yeah oh very welcome um Wait, in, can i tell a, can i tell a funny story please let me finish my sentence though um in, in, go, in going through <laughs> Sorry, all of these uh, yeah exactly going through these documents uh, these pdf these event invites these youtube videos all of this stuff is just absolutely priceless so on behalf of the audience thank you <laughs> yes well so there's one time I was doing War Room, and I, I think you were in studio. Maybe you weren't. Maybe it was the day we had the infamous Alan Duke on. Mm. But uh, Steve Steve turned to me on air and said, "You're like Rain Man," <laughs> and I didn't and I didn't know what it meant. For <laughs> I don't understand pop culture references. I have I don't watch movies. I like I just I don't I don't know any music except like what I like Taylor Swift like. I, I just don't understand any references. So I'm on air and I look at him and go, Oh, thank you so much. That's so nice. <laughs> and then I, I later found I later like looked it up and I, I asked I think it was either it was either my dad or Steve's producer. <laughs> I don't a lot to unpack there. I don't I don't know who. Um and I asked, Who's the guy from Rain Man that Steve compared me to? And they're like, Yeah, that's not a compliment. Um, <laughs> So then I you watched. Could, so then I, I, think, I watched Rain Man on two times speed. <laughs> I think it's a compliment. I think it's a compliment. In some in some ways, well, I'll I'll take anything Steve says to me as a compliment. Yes, I'll take it. Exactly. But... <laughs> exactly. Hold on. I've just I've just pulled up a random clip from Rain Man. Let's see if let's see if it makes any sense. About seventy. Seventy cents. Seventy cents. <laughs> how much can I ask out here? Kmart. Go go to Kmart. Right, right. Four hundred Oak Street. Right. Do you know how much a candy bar costs? 
I can't hear anything. Oh, you can't? It's just the, it's the, it's one of the scenes from Rain Man where they try to talk to him and say, "Oh, you know, what do you, do you know how much this costs? Do you know what this is? You know, because you know it is a compliment in a lot of ways because Rain Man's, um, you know, the character of of, of uh, um, Dustin Hoffman in Rain Man is, um, you know, just has this has this almost eidetic memory about the things that matter to him, but then will also make wild mistakes about the things that don't matter. So I think, That's me. Yeah, I think that's right. You know, I think that's right. Um, talking, you know, very good at the work you do and wild mistakes in your personal life. I've seen it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's not up enough. <laughs> I was talking about your dress sense, not anything else. <laughs> I, yeah, you actually, wait, I don't know if we're allowed to get into this, but... Uh -oh. Raheem, Raheem totally ignored me at the gala. I did not. You totally ignored me. How did I ignore you at the gala? Firstly, I saw you the night before the gala anyway. So I've already spent time oh, so with you. My requisite, my requisite like allotted amount of time that I have to spend with you, I've spent with you, okay? <laughs> what do you mean I ignored you at the gala? You saw me like four times before you said hi. Yeah, I was with people <laughs> in conversation. By the way, I was with... National Pulse members in conversation, <laughs> right? What do you want me to do? Hey, sorry, brother. I, Natalie looks like she's bored over there, so I got to go and giggle with her for a minute. You know, Rain Man, Rain Man needs help. Rain Man drops some toothpicks. Um, Rain Woman. So uh, I did not ignore you. I did not ignore you for a start. Let's just be very clear about that. And also, I just want to say this on the record. Like, you're a young girl at a gala. I don't want to be, like, you know, your keeper. I don't want people to think that they can't, like, talk to you because, like, here's Raheem kind of bodyguarding, you know? There's got to be some, you, like... You can gatekeep all you want. I don't want to. I don't want to. And, and nor do I. I will hire a gatekeeper. Yeah, that's fine. Nor do I want to have to be responsible for that because you know I got my own things going on. You know, I got to look after you know my little personal Harlan. situations. Go, yeah. I got Harlan getting too drunk. Got to make sure that he doesn't fall over. You know, I've got all these things going on at these galas that I have to take care of. Also, you know, by the way. When people like Matthew Tierman get on stage, I have to organize the oh. booing and all that kind of thing. And you're not going to do that. So I'm like working the scenes to make sure that these proper incidents take place at these galas properly, you know? So I can't come over and just babysit you the whole time. Jeez. Okay, I'll... I'll <laughs> okay, I won't come next time. <laughs> okay. Um, no, I think, um, I think, you know, the... the, the the broader point about um, about these events uh, is is well taken, and and for the audience out there, you know, obviously we're always um, delighted to be in the company of so many so many friends and and supporters and all of that. But sometimes it can get wildly overwhelming. Like uh, at this gala, I think I must have been subject to 150 selfies or or pictures of some sort, and that's great, and it's 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 perfectly fine until you realise that you're two hours in to an event. And like you haven't said hi to your friends yet, Natalie's point, you know, uh, uh, to that, and you haven't you haven't been able to get to the bar yet, or you haven't you know have haven't had anything to eat yet, um, because it's just kind of like, and it's I know it, I know it's like oh boo hoo you're so popular, but it's not about that. It's just like hey, can I breathe for a second? Like it's no. crazy. I, it's I crazy. can't breathe. Yeah, I can't breathe. Let's put our hands up, <laughs> like see like on CNN. <laughs> You know we're getting more and more like 
like inappropriate this every episode. Even, this isn't even a podcast. It's anymore. not. This is just a phone call between us. Yeah, it's just us complaining about things. Um, speaking of things to complain There's about, a lot to complain about. Yeah. There is a lot to complain. That was about. a good segue. We we both did that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We both know what they look like now. Um, how to get out of the last conversation. Um, which, which again is is one of the things we have to do at these galas all the time, right? Like, hey, uh, you know. Well, here's the thing, you know, because you can't let somebody bogart your time because you're there to talk to people and to give up your time for people, and then somebody will like corner you for 25 minutes. And I appreciate the the excitement and exuberance and and all the things that they they want to talk to us about. Uh, but then you've got you you start to get li- a, like a line forming, and then that's embarrassing as well because it's embarrassing for two reasons. Number one, I don't want to be that guy, right, who's like got a line forming to talk to him. I think that's so like obnoxious. And number two, it shows that you're not good at time management uh, and people management that you can't like pivot quickly and 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 hold the attention of of several people or work the crowd uh, effectively. And so those things are the things that I don't know if you worry about this, but when I'm at something like this, I'm constantly worried like oh did i accidentally snub this person did i give that person enough time did i give that person too much time like is somebody waiting to take a picture because we can get a picture done really quickly whereas somebody else wants to talk for five minutes and i might need to go somewhere and sit down with them and it's it's like really stressful i'm sorry i'm just complaining this is a champagne problem i'm just complaining about now um speaking of whatever the segue was um yes yes okay so uh, about six years ago I started uh, on the Breitbart London website something called the Migrant Crime Watch section, um, which was just a, because we were going through the European uh, migrant wave uh, at that point in time, uh, there were just so many, so many incidents uh, being uh, underreported of, of, of big, big changes in, in crime and crime statistics uh, in the communities that, that the migrants were being put in. And of course, the left attacked me. Say, oh, you know, you don't have a white crime watch. Why would you have a migrant crime watch? Well, because we just imported all of these new people, and we were told there would be doctors and nurses and philosophers and and you know, uh, rocket scientists. Um, and it turned out, it turned out that that you know, of course, ninety nine point nine 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 percent of them were nothing of the like. And so we found it very very um, important to keep a track of these stories, not least because I knew what was coming down the line, further down the line, um, if we just allowed the media to um, gloss over the fact that there was mass criminality in these communities. So, Natalie, one of the things that has come up in recent days is this is this um, Lund University. Um, study or the professors uh, who've, who've done this study from Lund University in Sweden. Uh, you brought this to my attention this morning. It's getting a lot of traction on the site. Tell me more about it. Well, what originally drew me to this story, which it has to do with a couple of professors from, as you said, the Swedish university who are actually facing prosecution um, from this kind of academic oversight board, which is directly subservient to the country's Ministry of Education. So it is a, a government-linked, outright government-controlled board. Mm. And they were reported for a study that they put out, uh, the title, very, very innocent sound, well, not so innocent, but Swedish Rape Offenders, a Latent Class Analysis. It had nothing to do with singling out migrants, mm. um, but it just had to do with kind of profiling and building the case between how or as to how society could better and law enforcement better identify uh, rapists. Mm. And they did this through case studies of about 3,000 individual cases. Well, after publishing this this article, they get reported to this board. 
for the ethics, that's a quote, um, behind the paper. Um, they also, because they you, didn't you, get... You mean, you ethical... mean yeah, the, the, the Board of Appeal for Ethical Review, right? Yes. Yeah. They did not have, quote, ethical license, unquote, to handle, quote, sensitive data. And they also go on to say what that... What does that mean? They don't... Well, I don't know. Ethical license no, no, no. to handle sensitive data. Go on, go on. You, you, I'm burying the lead. No, I'm um, building it up uh, for you. Okay, <laughs> just pay attention. You'll <laughs> learn. You got to work towards the grand, you know, finale here. So, ethical license to yeah, hand, was... handle sensitive data. Yeah. And then they also complained as to the methodology of the study because they failed to use their analysis on how to best quote reduce exclusion and improve integration. So they had issues with the ethics and the methodology behind the study. Again, this is a government-linked board. So this isn't even just confined to the crazy world of academia, right? Mm. This is literally a government board. But why I was inclined to send this to you, obviously, I think I actually read your your Migrant Crime Watch report. I, did, I didn't know you back then, but mm. I, I, I love that section mm. um, of, of Breitbart. But I thought that this was an interesting story, personally, amidst all of the rhetoric and narratives that we're hearing about how we have to trust the science and trust studies and, and just the COVID-19 discourse, because I think this speaks to the politicization of science in some ways. Obviously, it's a different type of research, but still, um, I, I think it's it's very interesting that you see governments going after researchers, independent researchers, uh, for ethics behind studies when again the professor the professors who, who carried out this study one of them was actually an immigrant believe it or not to make it even more bizarre um but they admit going into the study it wasn't that they were singling out the variable as migrants the data that they found just happened to show that migrants were disproportionately represented among rapists and they drew parallels that migrants were more likely to rape than the general population um and now they're under invest. They being the professors are under investigation for quote conducting and publishing illegal research. Well, throw us in jail. <laughs> I mean, <you> know, <laughs> it's pretty extraordinary. But it was always heading this way. And one of the things that um, this got me thinking about um, earlier on today, and 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 um, which I, I I put on my. Twitter and my guesser was, I mean, the people who we're dealing with nowadays, right? I think we all kind of know this, but the people who we're, we're living under the yoke of nowadays are the kids who grew up with participation trophies. You know, I remember in the 90s, um, there being this whole hullabaloo over this, especially in American media. And I, I would only consume what American media I could from from overseas. Um, but I would still notice that, that, that you know, back, back then, <clears throat> you know, the big right wing call them what you want, shock jocks or whatever. We're talking about participation trophies, what it's going to do for kids, how it's going to uh, uh, ingrain this sense of entitlement in people and all of this. And the left was like, what are you talking about? This isn't a big deal. This is a joke. Stop worrying about it. Stop thinking about your own kids in schools. We'll look after them. Teachers will take care of them, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then I started to think about uh, this story this morning combined with, with that. I mean, these are the people... You know, the people on the ethical review board nowadays of, of these universities are the people who got participation trophies. But wait until the octuple vaxxed kids who grew up wearing masks outside get into positions of power, right? Like, think about what their mental state is going to be. Think about what 
what their formative years uh, were, were like and and how it will and how those things will manifest in 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 policy positions and and in leadership roles and i that is potentially one of the most terrifying thoughts that has occurred to me in in a very long time and i'm amidst a, a lot of these people being in college right now i'm seeing you know america's next generation of, of leaders and just the alternate reality um, that these people live in. And that's why I think this whole COVID-19 issue is, is so interesting because you have the, these people who, it's not even the critique of academia as being, you know, shouting from their ivory tower, being secluded on campus, but the policies that these people want to pursue are just so nonsensical. And then they pretend like they approach COVID-19 and, you know, the, the science and the, the data with these objective realist lenses. And it's just, it's so bizarre because then the next sentence out of their mouth is something as absurd as, you know, we need to get rid of the campus police because we need to stop gentrifying the area around the Chicago campus and we need to protest the new Lululemon that's coming to campus. That's actually a thing that's happening. So it's, it's, it's hard to take these people seriously, I think. And I, and I will say it's, it's been very interesting. Um, U Chicago, which is obviously in, in the south side of Chicago, um, not not a great area. Um, there's a lot of a lot of violence here. Um, I think three U Chicago students have died this quarter wow. alone, and it's it's horrible. It's it's very sad. It's random robberies from people who who live in the area will will shoot kids to steal their phone and try to pawn it for a hundred dollars. That was the most recent case. Um, and what the university's doing in response to it, again, just talking about this failed leadership class, um, they're hosting a community-wide Zoom webinar to talk about how to be safe on campus. Um, Hosted by Jeffrey Tubin. Is, <laughs> probably, of course it's on Zoom, and I'm pretty sure they had to postpone it because of like scheduling conflicts or something. But it's just so, it's so, I think being at this time in my life, um, having the worldview that I do and, and being at, you know, an academic institution, you kind of see this, the academic elites. And Chicago is a, a great school. There are a lot of people here who I would say are a part of the, the political elite. A lot of people who used to work in the Obama administration, David Axelrod's, mm. David Axelrod leads Institute of Politics here. Um, but just the leadership is so failed. Um, and it's, it's, mind-boggling to watch and then they think that they can get COVID-19 under control right. um, and by the way you Chicago also recently hosted an event with the China United States Exchange Foundation so how's that for my world's colliding <laughs> it's all it's, it, this is all Natalie's <laughs> world we're just living in it this is all Natalie this, this Natalie simulation and we're just we're just the 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 NPCs in it um <laughs> Natalie, I want to move on to Millie and maybe even a little bit of uh, a little bit of the Cuomo stuff here. But I don't know if I don't know if you necessarily want to participate in those things because I got a lot to say. Um, so up to you if you want to hang out. No, it's all all you. If you want to hang out or you want to you want to bounce, that's fine by me. Um, I will bounce. Okay. Anything Thank else before we me. let you go? Um, stay tuned for some more China stories. Well, we've got we've got a lot in the uh, in the bank right now uh, that I'm working my way through, and um, yeah, a couple of other things as well. Um, Natalie, you're on Getter, right? 
Yes. Yeah, you got to make sure. I you're... posted something yesterday. Oh, there you go. You got to make sure you're yeah, following you should, you Natalie. Should go to my getter to see on Getter, and um, yeah, there's a lot, uh, a lot of growth going on in that uh, in that world at the moment. And the Axios, there was an Axios story this morning actually, panicking about the new conservative infrastructure across sites like this and payment processors and cryptocurrencies. Uh, rumble and, and all that kind of stuff so make sure that you are taking that uh, that action step and getting on these platforms and supporting them natalie as ever we thank you for your time thank you all right i want to um i want to take a minute I, I i don't really usually sit here um sit here alone with you guys usually got natalie as my wingman on the show but i wanted to talk about this um this millie stuff for a little bit because i know I know for a while we've got uh, you know our our sites focused on on people like Fauci, but I don't think we can necessarily just like Natalie has done with um, what's his name that Senator Cory um, Cory Gardner and, and and other such things. I don't think we can take our eyes off some of the other malign characters here. So Donald Trump sets a little bit of um, a little bit of tongues wagging this week with a comment he made at Mar-a-Lago on Saturday night. I'm going to play it for you. On every nut, every bolt, every screw, we're taking everything. We're taking down the tents, you know, they left all the tents, they left everything. Couldn't they have flown in a couple of hundred pilots and flown the planes up? And I'll never forget Millie saying to me, sir, sir, it's cheaper to leave the equipment than to bring it. I said, really? You got a $50 million airplane, you got a $29 million gorgeous helicopter. We had every type of helicopter, many of them brand new, literally out of the box. 28, 29 million. We have 60, 70 million dollar plans. You mean you think it's cheaper to leave it there so they can have it than it is to fill it up with a half a tank of gas and fly it into Pakistan or fly it back to our country? You think, yes, sir, we think it's cheaper, sir. That's when I realized he was a fucking idiot. <laughs> I'm sorry. I got to know a lot of the generals. I got to know a lot of them. They are great. But the television generals have been, they're just bad. The politicians, they're just bad. So there's Donald Trump, President Trump, on uh, Saturday night, I believe it was, calling uh, the nation's most senior military officer, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, a, quote, fucking idiot. Now, that gave me no end of glee because uh, I get uh, a number of complaints from uh, people about my uh, salty language, and now I can just point them to this and say, hey, look, this is this is President Trump swearing, so if he can, I can. Um, but it brought me no end of glee as well because Mark Milley is a particularly... Um, noxious character i think particularly well i mean i think the phrasing is right he's a fucking idiot quite frankly and i woke up on sunday morning having had a a a night full of uh libations so you can imagine what i felt like on sunday morning and i woke up on sunday morning uh put the uh put the man united crystal palace match on and uh started to think about this started to think about what trump said if it was right to say it um if it was the right context to say he was obviously talking about afghanistan and, and millie's advice to leave all the uh, equipment in the hands of the Taliban there. And I got to thinking about it, and I thought, you know what? If I were to do a fact check, like if if I was writing a, a genuine fact check, then the answer would be yes. Mark Milley is a fucking idiot. So that's exactly what I wrote. Uh, Trump is right. 
Mark Milley is in fact a fucking idiot is the name of the headline on this story. And really, it was written for for me to get some things off my chest. Uh, but it was also written for the people who care about some of the backstory that doesn't necessarily get told or talked about. Now, specifically, I'm talking about the things that are in the book Peril uh, by Bud, Bob by Bob Woodward and um, Bob Costa. And I know a lot of people on the political right, I'll say this until I have ceased to exist, ladies and gentlemen. I know a lot of people on the right don't bother to pick up the books of the left. Shame on you, because every time our side puts something out, they're all over it. They're mocking it. They're going through it with a fine-tooth comb. They pick out a, a typographical error, something that is, you know, think about the Mark Meadows book. And all the all the media spin that has occurred around that in the last week. Oh, Trump tested positive for COVID. Blah blah blah. You know, we have the same ability to do that with their stuff, and we just don't. And shame on us. Well, shame on you because I do it um, for doing that. I, I do as much as possible. Believe me. Oh my God, believe me. I'm still going through Fiona Hall's dreadful, dreadful book right now. I mean, dreadful. Maybe, maybe the worst book I've ever read. Maybe. Peril was up there as well, by the way. It really was. Terribly written, awfully repetitive, a, a big old endless blowjob for, for the Biden family, this book was. Um, but you've got to do it because you learn certain things that you won't learn from the media coverage of those books. For instance, the media is never going to pull out a story that makes Mark Milley look like an idiot if you know anything about geopolitics out of Peril. But if you bother to read Powell yourselves, and there are these nuggets, and there are these little avenues that you can proceed down that will teach you those things. And I know, I know, it's not joyous to hand $20 to, to Amazon or, or wherever to purchase a book that you know is then a dollar or two from that is going into the pockets of the people we don't like. But I would rather put a dollar in Bob Woodward's pocket for the for the thousands and thousands of people now that have read this story of mine called Mark Milley is in fact a fucking idiot uh, based on some of the evidence that I came across in in peril. I, I hope that makes sense. You know, it is a small price to pay for us being able to actually ascertain and reinterpret and, and reproduce uh, the narratives that are being spun against us. Um, so I will do that sort of thing. I am a subscriber, for instance, to The Atlantic magazine, which probably is one of my least favorite publications, if not my least favorite publication ever. But I, I want it because I want to go through it every whatever couple of weeks it comes to my door and um, go through it, understand what they're talking about, why they're talking about it. I even read those little blurbs by the graphic artists for the cover. Why were they inspired to do the cover like this? What does it mean? You learn so much that way. Um, and you know damn well they're doing it to us. So I feel it's our responsibility to do it to them. So anyway, look, I commend this story to you guys. It's a piece of analysis rather than a news item that I've done. Uh, but I want to go through a couple of things uh, with you now, if I may. Um, obviously, you had that moment there about Afghanistan. We know all of that, and and Milley continued his advice into the Biden, you know, months, first months of the Biden regime, which is precisely what led to the absolute clusterfuck of the Afghanistan withdrawal. You see, yes, we can make fun of Tony Blinken, and yes, we can hold Biden himself responsible, but this was Milley's advice. This is the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff who has carried 
forward bad advice that wasn't taken by the previous administration and thought, okay, if I'll just hold on a little bit, I can take, get somebody else to take my bad advice. And that's what he did. And we're now nearly 100 days since the so-called final withdrawal date from Afghanistan, and there are still hundreds of Americans in that country unable to get out because of the way Mark Milley wanted to do the drawdown. But as I write, that botched plot isn't the only indicator of Milley being a fucking idiot. You know, in peril, in the book, it, it, it opens with the, uh, the, the uh, framing of January the 6th and how in the days after January the 6th, Milley took it upon himself to go behind the back of the President of the United States, in fact, to usurp the entire chain of command in the United States, um, and call at 7.03 a.m. General Li Zusheng, that's the uh, chief of the joint staff of China's People's Liberation Army, the Chinese Communist Party's standing army. And the conversation went a little something like this, according to the book Peril. Millie says, General Lee, I want to assure you that the American government is stable and everything is going to be okay. We are not going to attack or conduct any kinetic operations against you. General Lee... You and I have known each other for five years now. If we're going to attack, I'm going to call you ahead of time. It's not going to be a surprise. It's not going to be a bolt out of the blue. If there was a war or some kind of kinetic action between the United States and China, there's going to be a build-up, just like there's always been in history. There's going to be a tension. And I'm going to be communicating with you pretty regularly. So this is not one of those times. It's going to be okay. We're not going to have a fight. General Lee responds, Okay, I take you at your word. Now, General Lee is obviously not taking Mark Milley at his word any more than he would expect. He would expect Mark Milley to take him at his, except the problem is Mark Milley does take the Chinese at their word, and we'll get into that in just a second. But think about what just happened there. At 7.03 a.m. on January the 8th, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff goes around all the foreign policy apparatus, the b trillions and trillions of dollars of foreign policy apparatus that exists across the Western world, um, past the State Department, past the Secretary of State, past the President of the United States, the Vice President of the United States, all of the advisors, China Desk, National Security Council, um, in-country liaisons, ambassadors, so on and so forth, goes, th goes circumvents the whole damn thing to put in a call to a hostile power to say hey if our government does intend to attack you then i'll give you a heads up all right i mean you know, mark Milley should be in the stocks on the national mall where we can all go and throw tomatoes at him he's a tomato looking motherfucker anyway this is this is an outrage. I mean it's 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 criminal to my mind. It's it's treasonous. And and think about the hypocrisy of all of this, which we'll get into more of in a second. I hope you don't mind if I go a little long in today's episode. 
But think about the hypocrisy of all of this. How does he start that conversation? He starts that conversation by saying, generally, I want to assure you that the American government is stable and everything's going to be okay. Okay. Well, if that's true, then why all the hubbub about January the 6th? If that's true, why the conversation with Nancy Pelosi on the phone that day about the 25th Amendment? If that's true... Why did you need 25,000 troops on Capitol Hill and the fence around the Capitol? So, you know, someone's lying somewhere here, right? I happen to believe that it was all a show. And I read a lot of the Revolver.News coverage of this, and I think you should too. I happen to believe it was a show that was intentionally put on. I also happened to live 30 seconds walk from the Capitol building and happened to be walking past when the first flashbangs went off that day. I saw everything that took place on Capitol Hill that day. From the top of the One American News Building on Constitution Avenue, walking down Constitution Avenue, walking down Pennsylvania Avenue, walking back up at the end of the day. There wasn't mass, riotous um, sentiment out there. There was a targeted sentiment, and a targeted sentiment by people who arrived at the Capitol before Donald Trump had even begun to give his speech over at the Ellipse outside the White House. Remember, I was the first person to break that timeline down and say, hey, the narrative doesn't make sense. I think that was on January the 9th. I said, this narrative that we've heard now for the last three days doesn't make sense. The Capitol was breached at 12.10. Trump didn't finish his speech until 1.15. So unless they had time machines... There's no way people could have been incited because remember, incitement was the first thing they went to. Incitement, he incited this. He incited a riot. When did he incite a riot? He incited a riot from that speech on, on, on the, the ellipse. Did he now? Because unless he had Marty McFly and Doc Brown with him, it doesn't work. So they dropped that. Do you remember they dropped that pretty quickly? The same way, remember they really quickly, once we pointed out that there was no evidence behind Brian Sicknick being bludgeoned to death with a fire extinguisher. Again, that was from us. That was from the desk of the National Pulse and Revolver.News. They pretty quickly dropped that narrative too. Oh, you want to talk about the Patriot Front stuff this weekend. Hilarious, by the way. Absolutely hilarious. I'm going to try and play a, play a clip in a, in a second that I think... <laughs> it's from some comedian. I don't even know who it is. Um, I hope you, some of you guys have seen it already, but I'm going to play it as well. It's so funny. This Patriot Front stuff. I mean, so obviously ridiculous. Okay, actually, you know what? Let me break the monotony of me talking about Mark Milley for a second to play you this clip. This is a parody of um, the planning meeting that must have taken place ahead of this, you know, quote-unquote Patriot Front rally, okay? just Okay, everyone. Can I have your attention, please? Quiet coyotes. I think we're all ready. We're all ready for the big event. So it's gonna be it's gonna be navy blue tops and khaki bottoms. Um, if you if you're wearing jeans, don't bother showing up because if we don't match, it's not gonna be it's not gonna be scary. If I see a bunch of people wearing khakis, then it's scary. But if it's a bunch <laughs> of people wearing khakis and Fred wearing jeans, they're not gonna be scared. Now the aesthetic we're going for is Ku Klux Klan. Bitch, but it's at Best Buy. You feel me? 
So we really need to lean into that aesthetic because that's what we've committed to, Fred. Uh, furthermore, I saw the cutest little um, clear serving platters. They're like big clear plates at the Dollar Tree. Um, and I went ahead and picked a bunch of those up and I taped a little handle on the back. So we'll all have um, the cutest little shields. They're not, they're not actually good for protecting anything, but they do make us look like little... Like little soldiers. Um, it's also <laughs> important that everyone be wearing a mask. And I know I get it. We hate masks. But this is for our physical protection more than anything else. Uh, it's going to be a really bright day. And um, I'm sorry, but uh, a lot of us are a little pale. So safety first. That skin's got to be covered up. And uh, sunglasses too. Oh, God. What else? Um, oh, 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 oh. Uh, Heath. If you could bring that drum that you bought for your son, and if you could just hit it at random moments, I think I think we did a good job, you guys. I think this is going to be very successful. I think, A, we're going to look cute as fuck. <laughs> oh, and uh, if you have knee pads, I think you should probably wear them. Why do we need knee pads? Oh, just in case. Just in case of what? No, just, just in case. When, when, I don't know if that's a liberal comedian or what, uh, or just, or nothing, I don't know. But um, I think when you get parody to that level on, on these things, then you know most people are looking at this thing and going, yeah, I'm sure that, you know, real patriots amassed at the Lincoln Memorial on a, on a Saturday morning dressed in khakis and little <laughs> Dollar Tree shields and a little drum. Yeah, that's. Sounds exactly like uh, like what we do, right? Um, I'll move back to this Millie thing for a second because that so that's the opening gambit to Peril, right? But there are several other things. There, are, in fact, there are three hundred and two references to Millie in that book. Um, and on page seventeen, the claim is even made that he called Admiral Philip Davidson, the U.S. commander of the Indo-Pacific Command that oversees China, and convinced him to postpone what are called uh, freedom of navigation exercises around Taiwan and the South China Sea. Millie is, I think he knows that he's constantly being outsmarted by the Chinese. And so he, he likes to give them this kind of freedom to operate. He's hoping that if he gives them a little freedom to operate and backs off a little bit, then they just kind of leave him alone and not be, not be aggressive towards him. He doesn't understand that this isn't about him. People like this think everything is about themselves. Um, so it, it's it's little surprise that the Chinese have felt really secure doing their saber rattling, flying their jets over Taiwan, all of these military exercises that they've been doing in the last couple of months since the Biden regime uh, took over. And Milley himself uh, said something in a 2017 speech to Rusi, the Royal United Services Institute, based out of London, globalist think tank. Uh, he said, Quote, I would hesitate to call China an enemy. Some would say adversary. Others would say enemy. Some would say hostile. I think they are what the slide implies. He's the slide he's talking about is how um, America and China's fortunes can move in the same direction and move together. And he said himself that he, quotes takes them at their word. Right? Where, did we, where did we hear that phrase before? That was in the transcript supposed transcript, I mean, we know it's Millie talking to Woodward to get this in his book, but that same phrase, apparently General Lee says to him, right, I take you at your word. That's General L-I, not L-E. Um, and then 
just so happens that this is the this is the same phrase that Millie's used about them in the past too. Interesting. One of the other things that stood out to me was um, Millie's response during the Black Lives Matter riots of 2020. Now, at least 25 people died as a result of those riots. At least $2 billion in property damage was caused in 2020. I mean, really, at least. Those were, those were original figures that came out and really haven't been updated since. And we obviously know that there's been this Black Lives Matter attack in Waukesha in Wisconsin as well that nobody wants to talk about either. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, absolutely was, absolutely was a, uh, a terror attack, um, a politically motivated terror attack. But this was a really interesting nugget that, that not many people have, have, have covered here. There was an altercation, and I believe it was in the Oval Office, when Millie uh, is in there with Trump and Stephen Miller, and Miller and Trump are like, hey, you know, dickhead, what are we doing about these violent riots taking a place across the country right now? Because we really do, do need to start thinking about military force to start putting these things down. You know, local police, uh, some of the local police were, were totally overwhelmed, underprepared, told to stand down by their local uh, left-wing politicians, um, so on and so forth. What is going to happen if we leave this unchecked? And... Millie apparently turns to Miller in the room and says, shut the fuck up. And then starts talking about how BLM is kind of justified in mass criminality. He said, quote, that's pent up in communities that have been experiencing what they perceive to be police brutality, end quote. This is really interesting to me, given what we know about Millie introducing critical race theory education into the military. Remember, he told that congressional committee, I want to understand white rage and I'm white, and then talked about how he reads Mao Zedong, Karl Marx, and Vladimir Lenin. Fucking idiot. Now, lastly on this point is January the 6th. Because my original take on all of this, if you go back far enough into... National Pulse law of um, of this year. My original take on this was that you know none of this none of this stacked up. It didn't make sense. The timelines didn't even work. A lot of the things that AOC was saying about where she was and what times none of those made sense. And we know now that we were right. Um, we know that there have had to have been retractions um, by the corporate media about some of this stuff. Brian Sicknick, for example. But of course, they won't cover it in earnest. Potato Stelter isn't up there, you know, going through all of the reporting on CNN from the last year and saying, you know what, guys, we actually missed this one by by a, a significant mile. It's not in their corporate interest to do so. And it's not in their personal interest to do so, if you, might, if you don't mind me saying so. But let's let's think about this pretty, pretty closely. And if you've if you've if your attention span has lapsed at all over the course of this podcast. Wake up! It's time to listen to this very carefully, okay? So, in the book Peril, Millie is complaining about that moment where Trump walks over to St. John's Church. Remember, he hold the Bible up. They cleared the area. Um, we then learned, months later, of course, that 
the two incidents were not necessarily related. Local law enforcement was trying to clear that area anyway. It was Trump's idea concurrently uh, to go to St. John's Church to show, you know, a show of strength against violent rioters, which, by the way, I think is always justified a show of strength against violent rioters. Not, they don't have to do it against peaceful protesters, but they weren't peaceful protesters. Um, if, if any of you had walked around that neighborhood that morning, which I did the morning before, which I did, posted pictures and videos of all, all the storefronts and all the office fronts and all the streets and all the trash cans, all just trashed, smashed, graffitied, all of that. Uh, there's a suitcase of bricks hidden behind the church. None of it was intended to be peaceful. It was all very well planned as a, as a um, dare I say, insurrection attempt. Remember the siege of the White House that was going to happen? That was all fine as far as the left media were concerned back then. And then when Trump cleared, or when the police cleared that area and Trump walked to the church, Milley had conniptions about it. He said, you know, I shouldn't be walking next to you in military gear. This is a political moment. Not a fucking political moment, you fucking idiot. It was a law enforcement and national security moment. And if Milley thinks that bringing peace to the nation's capital outside the White House is a partisan political statement, then that's because he is imposing his partisan views onto that moment, not the other way around. You know, they weren't flying, uh, you know, GOP banners from St. John's Church. They weren't doing a, holding a fundraiser in there. This was an objectively legitimate thing for the commander-in-chief to do when he was faced with a violent insurrectionist mob. But on January the 6th, at around 3.29 in the afternoon, according to Peril, um, Alyssa Slotkin, a Democrat congresswoman from Michigan, calls Millie. Think about that. Pretty, I mean, you know, she may have some commit, important committee assignments or whatever, but congressmen aren't that high up the food chain here. You know, congressmen will eat at, at Union Pub sitting at the bar top next to me. It's different for senators, certainly different for, for commissioned officers in the White House and, of course, the highest offices in the land. But nonetheless, you know, 3.29 p.m., hours, hours, three hours after the Capitol had been breached, Slotkin calls Millie. Just calls him up. And the conversation in the book, Peril, goes like this. Quote, Mark, first name terms, Mark, you need to get the guard down here. Millie replies, I know it. We're working on it. Slotkin responds, I know I was yelling at you for what happened in June. She's talking about the clearing of Lafayette Square, what I just talked about, outside St. John's, John's Church. And she says, but now we need you, and we need you here now, and we need you here with the military, and get everything you can down here right now. Millie says, Alyssa, I get it. And she says, I know how hypocritical this sounds. You're, and Millie says, you're right. It does a little bit, but we'll be there. That's not the end of the conversation, by the way, but just just, just internalize all of that. Alyssa Slotkin, who months before had attacked the, the nation's military and its officers and the President of the United States, 
for putting down a violent, armed, planned, organized, days-long siege of the White House. He's now calling merely three hours after the Capitol was breached, saying, please protect us with the military. So the business owners and the civilians and the citizens and the church, don't get me started on the church's reaction to all of this, but they could go to hell as far as Slotkin was concerned back in June. But now her beloved capital had a couple of FBI informants stealing a lectern and sitting in Nancy Pelosi's office. Oh, you know, get 25,000 troops down here. Shoot Ashley Babbitt in the head while you're at it. Bludgeon a woman outside the Capitol building. Create a false narrative. Yeah, then we'll lock them all up. We'll lock them all up without due process. Put them in a shitty jail in D.C. Solitary confinement. Bad food. Don't let people in to visit with them. Don't let their lawyers in to visit. I mean, do, do you understand what took place here? A coup happened that day and it wasn't the coup they talk they're talking about but that wasn't the end of the conversation between those two and i'm sorry for going a little long i noticed i've just passed the hour mark so i'll wrap it up a little just a little bit but instead of hanging up the phone and trying to get resources to the capital which i think arrived like at 5 p.m or something Millie then talks to Slotkin about the political situation. So it's the middle of January the 6th. The capital is still, you know, quote-unquote occupied by rioters. And these two are having a little party political chat. And Slotkin says, Is it true Trump said no? She's talking about de- to deploying the National Guard. And Millie responds as, an, again, another admission of him circumventing the pr- proper channels of authority. Millie says, quote, I purposely did not go to Trump. I went to Pence. I informed Pence we were sending the Guard. Pence welcomed that. To which Schlotkin responds, it was smart you didn't involve Trump. Good on you for not involving Trump. Pat it, a pat on the back for your insubordination, Mark Milley. But it's interesting, isn't it? Because one of the first things I did in, the, in response to the, the, the prevailing January the 6th narrative was go through and look at what actually was approved in terms of policing for that day. And I found out that it was Trump who had called for 10,000 National Guard to be deployed along, you know, outside the White House, along Pennsylvania Avenue, Constitution Avenue, outside the Capitol building. It was Trump who wanted that to avert any problems that could arise from, for instance, Antifa coming out that day. And by the way, amazing, isn't it? Amazing that Antifa just kind of didn't show that day, didn't bother. Yeah. There'll be thousands of Trump supporters in town. But you know what, Antifa, we're going to take a day off, coincidentally. 
It's not gonna not gonna come out that day. Doesn't happen. <laughs> Never happens. This is a this is a city of Antifa, right? But it's interesting because we did that. We went through all of that, and it was the mayor, the mayor Muriel Bowser, the CCP compromised mayor Muriel Bowser of Washington D.C. She did not request National Guard, which she has to do. Nancy Pelosi refused it. Mitch McConnell refused it. And, of course, Slotkin, effectively, uh, by decrying the use of the military in situations like these, also refused it. You know, she she complained about the, the response in June. So she didn't want it. Oh, now she wants it. But it's interesting because Milley responds to her in this moment. And he says, quote, I don't think Trump would necessarily say no. And Slotkin says, why not? And Millie tells her that days before they had a planning meeting and Trump was the one who said to send the guard there to support the Capitol Police. Trump said, quote, good, good, do what you need to do. In Christopher Miller's words, Trump said, quote, you're going to need 10,000 people. You do what you need to do. You do what you need to do. You're going to need 10,000. But Millie amongst the rest of them, didn't take Trump and his advice seriously about that day. Because he's a fucking idiot. Or maybe we're the fucking idiots. And maybe Millie was in on it the whole time. Maybe Millie knew that if the guard was deployed, they wouldn't get their narratives. But it didn't sound like it from that Slotkin call. For Millie, it sounds like a special kind of stupidity yes of course he's a partisan hack we can tell that but i don't think he's a particularly bright one i think he's gone his whole life now you know look trying to look the part rather than act the part and he looks the part yeah it looks like a general but is there anyone in this audience who believes that they couldn't win a game of chess against mark milley i think every single one of us could and I'm talking about even the people who've never played chess in their lives. And isn't that interesting now? Because we have now received, um, I think it's four different confirmations that Trump was the one. Vanity Fair had it. Somebody else had it. Um, Miller talked about it. Chris Miller talked about it. And now in the book Peril, Millie talks about it too. We've had... I think four separate confirmations that it was Trump that wanted the National Guard deployed and it was the left who, who, who refused it. And of course, that has not been reflected in the media's coverage of this. Well, I want to thank some of our members. Look, if you value the work we do, work like this, piecing through the details reading the opposite side's books, watching their television shows, going through all of this stuff and realizing where we can make inroads, then please, I encourage you to join us. We are funded entirely by members of the public. No big foundational grants, no big corporate sponsorships, kicked off our advertising networks. It's you, it's all you, and it's at fundrealnews.com, fundrealnews.com, fundrealnews.com. And I want to say thank you to some of our newest members, Julie, Ellen, Michael, John, Rosanna, Nathaniel, Kaylin, Russell, Alan, Dustin, Peter, Taylor, Charles, Marlene, Terry, Jean, Sarah, Michael, Dimitri, Casey, Chris, 
Chris without an H. Another Chris. Marjorie, Anne, Patrick, Scott, Donna, Waltrod, Waltroud? Stephen, Edward, Allison, Joanne, Boaz, Doug, Cindy, um, Gordon, Thomas, Gina, Dawn, Abner, Buzz, Deborah, Hatal, Derek, Lawrence, James, Julie, Anne, Roger, Tracy, Dini, Carol, Scott, Mark, Sharon, Liang, uh, Daniel, William, Russell, Lawrence, John, the list goes on and on. We're just ever so grateful for every single one of you, whether it's $5, $10.25, whatever you're given, fundrealnews.com. Thank you so much. Get on Getter, and I'll see you on there. Cheers.